Amen. What a wonderful skit. Thank you so much, skit team, for leading us with this <clears throat> skit. And while I begin the sermon, we're going to go to John 20 here in a moment, John chapter 20 here in just a moment. I'm going to ask Ken to go and send up the PowerPoint that I have. Um, maybe you already have. It takes a second to load sometimes. You know, Jesus rose again, and, and, and the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changed the disciples, and Jesus changes us. The resurrection changes everything. I like this, uh, this illustration that uh, Pastor Tim Keller shares. He says, Confucius, Muhammad, Buddha, Moses, founders of major religions, they all died in old age, in comfort and blessedness, triumphant over their opponents. You think about that? All these other founders of major religions, Confucius, Muhammad, Buddha, Moses, all of them died in old age. All of them died uh, triumphant over their opponents. Of all the founders of major religions, Jesus alone died alone. He died young. He died stripped. He died naked. He died stared at. He died mocked at. And while he died by inches and agony, he was crying out to God who had forsaken him. And here's a question. Who seeing that, or even who hearing that story, would say, that's the message for me. That's the spiritual leader I want. That's the person in whose footsteps I want to walk. Who in the world would say that? And yet here's the empirical point. It's a simple historical fact. That the suffering and death of Jesus Christ transformed lives at a depth and on a scale that it completely changed the ancient world. Why did that happen? Why would you see someone in like that and say, what a great spiritual leader. That's the message for me. Why would anybody do that? It's because of the resurrection. It's because he lives. Because he rose again. He died different Totally, completely different than any other founder of a major religion. But he rose again. It's because of the resurrection. Jesus lives. And get this. He sent us the Holy Spirit to change the world. He shocked the disciples. Shocked everyone. The Jewish people of the first century, they were not expecting a Savior to die that way. They were not expecting Messiah to die that way. They were not expecting a resurrection of an individual like that. They were expecting a later resurrection of everybody, but not an individual like what happened with Jesus. They didn't make it up. Jesus lives. He sent us the Holy Spirit to change the world. I want to walk through John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's walk through John 20, verses 1 through 10 first. If you look at John 20, verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So Jesus has been crucified. The disciples are in mourning, but they do not realize that Jesus cannot be kept down. They go to the tomb, expecting a body to be there. Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. She comes to see Jesus. She was the first to see, uh, the first of the tomb, and she sees a stone rolled away. And now look at verse 2 of John chapter 20. So she ran. She went to Simon Peter 
And she went to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, never gives his name, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. She thought, they've taken the Lord. We don't know where they've taken him. They've taken him. We don't know where they've laid him. She runs to Simon Peter. Mary did the logical thing. She goes to Simon Peter, and she goes to John. Most think when it said the disciple whom Jesus loved, it's referring to John. John was just being humble, did not want to use his name in the gospel that bears his name. She runs to Peter and John. She's in a hurry. And now the question is, do you think Peter and John would believe her? This was a shocking type of revelation. Nobody was expecting this, right? And plus, Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary uh, Mary in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. It's possible they didn't believe her. It is an interesting historical fact that the writers of the Gospels use women as the first witnesses. That's a proof of the validity of the Gospels because women were not considered uh, witnesses, reliable witnesses during first century Greco-Roman culture. But since it happened that way, and since the Gospel writers included the women... It's proving the truth of it. If they were making it up, they wouldn't have used Mary. They run to Simon Peter. Then you look at verses three and four. John 20, verses three and four. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. This is the great foot race. Both of them were running together. But the the other disciple, probably John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Peter and John run to the tomb, but John's faster. Then look at verses five through 10. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. So John goes in the tomb first. Then Simon Peter goes in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and he saw the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head. But it wasn't lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who, who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. He saw and believed. So John gets there first, but he doesn't go in. Then Peter gets there, and Peter goes in. And then John follows him in. Then he saw and believed. Look at verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So they get to the tomb. They see the tomb empty. John saw and believed. They had not understood the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. This transformed the world. The resurrection transformed the world. Jesus changed the world. Jesus changes us. I think about things, and I was listening to an R.C. Sproul message this morning as I was torturing myself on a jog, and he talked about what was happening between Friday and Sunday. You ever think about how did Jesus come out of the tomb? How did he do it? Like, did he stand up and had angels unwrap the grave clothes? Or did he do like a Superman thing and just burst them forth and the grave clothes fell off? How did he rise from the tomb. I mean, you know, the stone was moved away. The women were wondering, who's going to move this one-ton stone away? But do you know, the stone did not need to be moved away for Jesus to get out. 
It was moved in. It was moved away so they could get in. Jesus rose. He rose. Now what? I want to talk about what happened after. After the resurrection. We know if you look at the gospel accounts, it gives some record of Jesus eating fish with the people, proving that he was a body and he could eat food. Jesus confronting Thomas and saying, look, see the marks on my hands, see the spear mark on my side. We see that. But then Jesus ended up staying with them for 40 days. Then he ascended to heaven. And 50 days after the crucifixion, 50 days after Passover was Pentecost and all the people are gathered and the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And Luke wrote about it in Acts chapter two. And if you look at Luke's gospel, if you read the gospel, I'm sorry, if you read the book of Acts, which is Luke's second writing, if you read the gospel of Acts, we see the now what? You can read the gospel accounts and see Jesus' teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection. But if you read the, the, the book of Acts, we see the now what? We see what followed the resurrection. Luke, Luke writes in, in Acts about how Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave commands through the Holy Spirit. Luke writes about how they were to stay in Jerusalem. Until they receive the Holy Spirit. In, Luke cha- in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, it's like Luke is saying, I mean, Jesus is saying, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is saying, don't go anywhere until you receive the Holy Spirit. You'll mess it up on your own. Don't go anywhere until you receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read Acts 1.8 here in a moment, but think about it. Jesus rose from the grave, now What? If nothing else happened, we may not be talking about it today. But they spread that gospel. They spread that good news. And how they do it? By the Holy Spirit that was inside of them. By the Holy Spirit who empowered them to share the gospel with other people. The Holy Spirit. Everyone here seen The Lion King? Right. Lion King. There's a scene where Simba little baby lion. He's not an adult lion yet. He's this little baby lion. And Simba is getting chased by these hyenas. He's getting chased by these hyenas. And he's he's cornered and there's nowhere else Simba could go. And he tries to roar and it comes out just like a, a little kitty cat roaring. It's just nothing. And then he tries to roar again. And all of a sudden you hear this big lion roaring in the background. And the camera goes, in this animated one at least, the camera goes and it shows his father Mufasa in the background roaring. And that's the Holy Spirit within us. We are weak on our own, but Jesus rose again and he sent us the Holy Spirit, certainly to comfort us, certainly to teach us, certainly to equip us, but to embolden us, to share Jesus with other people. And if you look at Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says this. This is, 50, this is about 40 days, about 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria until the ends of the earth. Jesus says, you're going to be his witnesses. He rose from the grave, but he didn't expect them to leave it at that, did he? 
He expected them to tell other people about this good news, that he died for their sins and that he rose again and that we have this risen Savior, that we have this advocate, that we have, this, uh, that we have Jesus, the Messiah, interceding in heaven. We're, not, we're, we're told to share that with others. They were told to share it with others. We're told to share it with others. So the power of the Holy Spirit is that we can be witnesses. In Acts chapter 2, that's Pentecost. That's 50 days. Acts chapter 2 is 50 days after the resurrection. And they're all together in one place. They're all together in one place. And there's a sound like, like a mighty rushing wind. And the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. Peter, who was denying Jesus 50 days before, who was denying Jesus 50 days before, but then was repentant. But now Peter, baptized with the Holy Spirit, preaches the gospel, and around 5,000 people are saved. And after that, Christianity became an unstoppable movement. After that, the apostles take the gospel out, and they're the witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, which is the broader area around Jerusalem, in Samaria, which was like enemy territory to the Jewish people of Jerusalem. And then they go to the ends of the earth. They go to Rome. Paul might have got the gospel to Spain. Thomas likely took it to India. The gospel just spreads all across the world so that here today we're talking about it. Do you realize these disciples, they all face persecution. Most, if not all, face martyrdom because it was true. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because they had truth to share. Do you know that the term translated witness later became the same word we use for martyr? The whole book of Acts is about the spread of the gospel, even when it costs them their life. The whole New Testament is about the spread of the gospel, even when it costs them their life. So Jesus rose from the grave. Now what? They were called to be witnesses. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to share the gospel with others. We also receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And we have the power to be his witnesses. Jesus is witnesses wherever we go. We have the power to share the gospel wherever we go. And if we know Jesus, we're called to share that with other people, to share Jesus with other people. The gospel started in Jerusalem and spread to Judea, Samaria, all the way to Rome. We are most accountable to spread the gospel locally. We are most accountable to spread the gospel with those closest to us. I was talking with a relative, a family member, a few weeks ago, and we're talking about history, and he asked, do you, do you think this other historical figure was a Christian? We're talking about somebody in the 1700s. He said, I don't know. What matters most is if our neighbors are Christians, if our coworkers are Christians, if our family members are Christians. Now, they all matter probably equally in God's eyes. What I mean is we're called to take the gospel to those alive today who God has placed in our life. Jesus rose from the grave. Now what? Now we receive the Holy Spirit within us and we share Jesus with other people. We share Jesus with other people. So the disciples were changed by Jesus. 
And let's go back and talk about the, what the resurrection means for a moment. And this is a point where you get to respond. As we look at things, the disciples learn the same thing that we learn. Our Savior lives. And because they knew and learned the same thing we learn our Savior lives, that's why they shared it with other people. That's why they shared it. That's why the Holy Spirit came upon them and they shared it. So what is the significance of the resurrection? As I make each of these statements, I would like you to respond with, our Savior lives. So it's going to be a kind of responsive reading type part. And it'll be on the screen and I'm going to say it as well. So we're all going to respond together. We can have, this is what it means. It's one of them. We can have a relationship with Jesus because he lives. We can have a relationship with Jesus because he lives. If he was not resurrected, we would not have a relationship with him. Respond. Our Savior lives. Christ is our Savior who cannot die again. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Romans 6, 9. Because of the resurrection, we have new birth. According to his great mercy, God the Father has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1, 3. We have forgiveness of sins because of the resurrection. This is a cool passage. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. But guess what? He has been risen. (laughs) Say it. Our Savior lives. (laughs) Exactly. I timed that badly. Because Jesus is raised, we have no condemnation. Romans 8.34. This is so powerful. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us now. Because of the resurrection, we have the Lord's personal fellowship and protection. That lion roaring behind us, the Holy Spirit within us. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 20, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're never alone. Guess what? Good. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that we will also be raised from the dead. We know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. And bring us with you into his presence. And there's several passages that there you can refer to. 2 Corinthians 4.14 especially. If Jesus was not resurrected, guess what? There would never be a Christianity. The Romans would have shown the grave and guess what? It would have been all over. Jesus' resurrection shows the grave could not contain him. Jesus' resurrection shows that he is the victor. Jesus' resurrection shows again the miracles are true. Jesus is the power and authority over all nature. It's not hard to figure out. He can break out because he wasn't forced in. He lets himself be harassed and blackballed and scorned and shoved around and killed. He allowed himself to go through all that because he would live again. No one can keep him down because no one ever knocked him down. He lay down when he was ready. And all God's people responded with, Amen. Amen. I want to do something a little different today. 
At this point, there's a beautiful, beautiful song called Living Hope, Living Hope. And Nick's gonna start it on CD here in just a moment and Ken's gonna run the words. You can stay seated. This isn't a congregational song, though it might be in a few, in a few weeks, it might be a congregational song. If you know the words and wanna sing, no one's gonna patrol and say, stop it. No, you can sing if you want. Beautiful words that just talk about Jesus, our living hope. And we're gonna play it. Then I'm gonna come up and give a few closing gospel words before the closing hymn. Go ahead and start it, please.
Jesus Christ, our living hope. His words are so powerful. I want to go over some of them. Then came the morning. They sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. Then came that morning. They sealed the promise. He sang that twice. And then went on, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, get this. Death has lost his grip on me. You've broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living hope. Let me ask you a personal question. Can you honestly say right now, Jesus is your living hope? Can you honestly say that you're living for Jesus? You're organizing your affairs around him. There's four verbs that can be used to describe our commitment to Christ. Confess, believe, trust, commit. You've heard me share it. Most of you probably have heard me share it before. Confess, believe, trust, commit. We confess we are a sinner in need of a savior. I believe most of us would say that. Hopefully all of us. We believe in Jesus as the one and only savior. Believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Believe the scriptures about this. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall inherit everlasting life. We believe John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We trust in him and commit to him. Confess, believe, trust, commit. Do you believe, really, really believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except by him. Do you believe, really believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again? Are you striving to make Jesus your Lord? What does it mean? It means that we firmly make the decision to be with him in order to become like him, to learn and do all that he says, and we arrange our affairs around him. We firmly make the decision to be with Jesus. It's a firm decision, a solid decision, a decisive decision. It might be a daily decision. In order to become like him, we wanna become like the Lord Jesus. To learn and do all that he says, we find that in the Bible, we find that... Uh, through prayer and time with God and his word. And we arrange our affairs, arrange our life around him. Please bow your heads and close your eyes and let's go to the Lord in a state of prayer. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, you're not committed to him. You're not organizing your affairs around him. He's not your Lord. We're never promised tomorrow. I encourage you to pray today to make him your Lord. Maybe you believed, but you're not committed to him. Then you need to make him your Lord. If you're here thinking you've strayed from him and you need to rededicate your life to him. It calls for commitment. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, anyone can come after him, but he or she must deny his or herself, take up his or her cross and follow. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. That means I no longer exist, only Jesus in me. And take up our cross as an instrument of death and follow him. 
Some of you probably need to commit to him for the first time. Some of you have strayed from Jesus and you need to rededicate your life to him. Some of you have always believed, but you need to commit to make him your Lord. If that's you, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, raise your hand right now. I'd like to pray for you. I see those hands. I see those hands. Pray with me. This prayer is not a magical formula. It's just telling Jesus what you're doing. Lord Jesus, I confess I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. Today, Lord, I am trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Today, Lord, I am committing my life to you. Today, Lord, I am firmly making the decision to be with you in order to become like you to learn and do all that you say. And I'm going to arrange my affairs around you. Please help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just open your eyes. If you said that prayer, you know, angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. And guess what? You can be sure that you have eternal life in Jesus. Now, it's a constant commitment to Jesus, but you can be confident that you have eternal life in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to preserve us in the faith. The Holy Spirit preserves us in the faith, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to share the gospel with others. And he's our living hope. As the praise team comes up to lead this closing song right now, the altars are opened. And if God has laid anything on your heart, come forward. We would like to pray with you. It could be something, you know, an illness that you or a relative's going through. It could be something just weighing you down and you want people to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. Give us the privilege of being able to pray with you. We want to pray for you and pray with you. Come forward to the altars during the closing song.